I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. This is episode 42 with Christina Soto. Welcome to the As Told by Nomads podcast, where you'll learn how nomads, third culture kids, entrepreneurs, and leaders all over the world embrace their global identity and use their difference to make a difference. And now, having lived on four different continents, here's your host, Tyo Roxas. Welcome to Is Told by Nomads. Today I have with me Christina Soto. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. So who is Christina uh, Soto? Well, let's see. Um, I am the founder and host of The Cancer Game Plan, which is a podcast that's dedicated to helping cancer warriors. And I've been traveling basically all over the place, all over the place for the past year while running my business. And um, currently, I'm living in Thailand right now. Thailand, yeah. I used to live in Thailand. I was, uh, I was in, well, I didn't live in Thailand, but I, I stayed there for a little bit. I was in Bangkok, um, and yeah, it was, you know, it was pretty beautiful to see the high rises and some of the culture there as you're, you know, going around in the city. So I'm guessing you, you must enjoy doing that. You know, I'm actually in Chiang Mai, so I'm like in the total like country backwater town. I've only spent one day in Bangkok, um, so we're we're pretty far in the north, which has its you know cool aspects. It's you know beautiful land. We're really close to Burma, actually. Um, so you know, I'll have to get my uh, my Bangkok time in no, later. So. I mean, I have <laughs> to go to Chiang Mai because I, a lot of the digital nomads and just people I've interviewed uh, that live in Thailand, they happen to live in Chiang Mai. Is that particular oh, yeah. is there a reason is that like a, a startup um a silicon valley oh. or something there <laughs> totally it is like the asian silicon valley so here um in chiang mai we actually moved here because we had you know digital nomad friends mm. and we're like well hey you know it'd be kind of cool we've been bouncing around the world for a year let's go to a place where there's you know people like us um so we came here and it's really cool we actually kind of all it's funny you go to the coffee shops and basically in the day it's like a few thai students and then like all the digital nomads we're all on our computers like working in the day at all the coffee shops so it's a fun little community here in um ho chi minh we just came back from vietnam and that's another really big digital nomad hotspot. yeah no i mean i 
I also used to live in Vietnam. That I actually did live in. I lived there for three years. But um, nice. It's it's yeah. It's so crazy because I would walk around um, and you go around the city and you see a lot of Europeans, a lot of Americans, a lot of people, and they're you know, just saying, you know, I, I run my own business here. You know, I this is you know just me and my laptop, and uh, I found my way here through a certain journey. And uh, you know, it sounds like you have a similar story. Definitely, yeah. It was really cool. We really liked uh, Ho Chi Minh a lot. We were gonna move there after Thailand, but. Uh, we got pulled in another direction. So <laughs> that's how it always is. <laughs> so um, you talked about the, your cancer uh, podcast. There, if it's okay, could you talk about the cancer journey you had and what led to the Cancer Game Plan podcast? Yeah, sure. Um, I will try to give you the quick version. But basically, um, you know, my cancer journey kind of started how most people's do, um, with like feeling a little lump. I felt a little lump in my neck. Didn't think much of it. You know, I was pretty young and healthy. I was 32 at the time. So just kind of, you know, put it on the back burner as like, whatever, I've got a cold. Um, but actually, um, my partner and I, we were traveling in Japan. And during that two-week trip, that little lump turned into a pretty sizable mass. So the day I got home from Japan, you know, I went straight to a head and neck surgeon. And he just kind of looked at it and did like what most doctors do. They're like, well, you know. I think we'll do some tests. And I was like, come on, man. I know you know something. You have to tell me. And he's like, no, no, we got to run tests. So I was like, let's let's just pretend we're betting in Vegas very hypothetically. I'm like, what do you think it would be? What would you put your money on? And he's like, oh, okay, fine. He's like, hypothetically, I would think you would have Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I'm like, oh, no. Wow. So, you know, turned into more tests and blah, blah, blah. We thought we must have caught it early. I had no symptoms. Um, it turned out, actually, I had stage four. Um, it was in, you know, my neck, my chest, and my liver. So, wow. whole new ball game. Yeah, that was pretty shocking for me because I was thinking, oh, big deal. You know, I'll have a little bit of treatment and I'll roll on my merry way. And it turned into um, quite an adventure. So, you know, I did I did the treatment. It was six months of chemotherapy. But, you know, it wasn't, um, you know, I'm kind of glossing over this. Yes, it had its ups and downs. And, I you know, I had my little my little cries here and there, but it was actually pretty manageable. I mean, I still, I had, I couldn't work, um, cause I was in treatment all the time, but you know, we still lived a really normal life. Um, we still, you know, had friends over, we went to parties. We just, I was just bald. That was like the only difference. Mm. So, um, yeah, I kind of came up with a little plan, my own little cancer game plan during that time to still live a great life. And it was really manageable. So I ended up getting in remission um, right before my birthday in December, um, just in time for the holidays. But during Christmas time, I actually felt my cancer coming back. I could just feel it inside. It was, I don't even know how to describe it, but it just kind of felt like um, a burning almost sensation. Right. And so I didn't want to tell anyone, like, ruin everybody's Christmas. So I just, like, kind of kept it to myself. And um, right after New Year's, I just told my boyfriend, I was like, I know it's back. I can just, I can tell. So we went straight to the oncologist and he's like, I trust you. If you think it's back, you know, let's just do another PET scan. And sure enough, um, in the like 30, I think it was like 34 days that I, you know, been in remission, it had grown to four centimeters, which is huge in that short of a time. So we were like, all right, this thing's back with a vengeance. You know, we got to hit it really hard. So um, we went to the second line of treatment, which they call salvage chemo, which is horrible sounding. And, um, you know, that was a whole new ball game. It was like extremely intense, 
hardcore chemotherapy plus a stem cell transplant. So I was in the hospital for um, about three weeks, um, getting a stem cell transplant, trying to recover from that. So, you know, that was really difficult. But what was actually the hardest part was when they sent me home, when they said, okay, you don't have cancer anymore, go on your merry way. I just crumbled. I mean, I just kind of lost it. I was in a full-blown, like, emotional, mental kind of breakdown. Um, Not to mention my physical body was just worked, but um, I was just losing it. I had the worst, you know, fear and anxiety and stress and insomnia. I was, like, losing weight like crazy. My sister was calling me Gandhi. I was, like, super skinny and bald and, like, jaundiced. I mean, I just couldn't, I couldn't hold it together. So, um, I had a really hard time getting help for my what turned out to be post-traumatic stress. Um, so I couldn't really find a therapist. I had looked and looked and, you know, support groups for just people that were after, like the after treatment stuff. And I ended up just after a couple weeks of having this nightmare, um, kind of came up with my own post-cancer game plan. And that involved, you know, a lot of talking to all of the people I loved the most about every fear and thought and, you know, thing that I had in my mind, I just basically poured out my heart. Um, I did, you know, I did a lot of journaling. I did, um, I got off all my meds. I mean, it was, it was a big ordeal, but basically after, you know, I would say probably about a couple, maybe two months of doing that really repeatedly, I was completely like, healed, I guess, if I could say, you know, I no longer had that crippling fear. I no longer had the horrible insomnia. I no longer had the really bad anxiety. And I was off of all the drugs that, you know, my doctors just kept prescribing because of all the anxiety and fear. So um, I felt really happy. And through that, you know, through that journey, um, my partner and I were able to, you know, rebuild the life that we actually wanted to live, lead. And so um, you know, a couple months later, four months after I finished treatment, I was actually living in Kyoto. We had up and moved to Kyoto. And during that time, I just kind of, I was so happy living my life, but I felt really like I had just like nagging pull that, you know, all my other fellow cancer warriors must be going through what I went through because I can't be the only one. So I felt just like I needed to give back. I needed to give back my experiences that I learned from my own battle to my fellow cancer warriors, you know? So the only way I could think of actually really reach, reaching the masses and actually, you know, sharing stories is what I think was so important. I thought was through a podcast. So that was uh, the little spark for the cancer game plan. No, I love it. And that's, that's quite an inspiring story. A lot of what I was hearing was, you, you turn a lot of things into, uh, you know, affirmations and positive things. You, you know, you, you made a game plan for, for cancer and then you had a game plan for your post-cancer. And then uh, um, it sounds like somewhere around there you decided to move. And, yeah, uh, definitely. Was that, what, what, was that, what was that decision process like? When did you decide that I'm, I'm moving out of uh, the States for a while and I want to sort of explore myself? Um, so it kind of it kind of happened in like a two step process. Um, while I was getting a stem cell transplant, you know, they put you in the hospital for three weeks, and you're just about like dead. You know, you're just like ugh, just really worked. And um, while I was on the recovery, my boyfriend and I were sitting in the room, and he's like working away. He worked in the travel industry, 
And we were thinking, you know, we were just kind of talking about life and like what we wanted out of life. And, you know, you get very reflective when you have to face your own mortality at such a young age, you kind of have like an early midlife crisis. So, you know, we're like, what we really want is just, we want to be completely free. We want to be able to live and move and travel wherever we want and not be stuck in nine to five jobs. And we both had nine to five jobs. So um, we were like, what can we do? What can we do? And we'd been thinking about this for already a couple months or maybe even a year by that time. And it dawned on us while we're sitting in the hospital, oh, we should start a travel company. Like, he knows travel. We've traveled, both of us, extensively. We're like, duh. And so a little light bulb <laughs> went off. And um, so we thought, okay. So I was like, well, I'm, you know, still getting a stem cell transplant. You work on that project. I'm going to heal. And I still had radiation to do after this. So I was like, you work on that and, you know, we'll reconvene. So he started working on this um, in his spare time, which I don't know really where he had it. He took care of me full time, plus worked full time and commuted and started this travel company, which is amazing. We have a a travel company where we just do travel to Japan because we love Japan. So um, he started this company. But during that time, we also realized we don't have to live in the States. We run our company completely online and we can live wherever we want. So we we're like, oh, let's let's hightail it out of here. So as soon as, you know, my oncologist really wasn't happy about me leaving four months after getting a stem cell transplant. But right. I was like, look, we're going to Japan. It has they have great medical care and it's really clean. Like we'll be totally fine. So yeah, we decided um, kind of I think it was in the hospital when we kind of had the first idea, but I think we decided in like October, right when I had finished um, some treatments that, you know, let's hightail it out of here. So we, um, you know, sold everything. We sold all our furniture, sold the car, got rid of everything. And we each packed one suitcase and one backpack. And we're like, let's, let's go travel for a year and a half. And, you know, we kind of, you know, his idea more for it, I think, was he he really wanted to just start his own business and live this type of life. For me, I think it came more of I really realized that I wasn't scared of dying. I was really scared that if I died now, I didn't get to really live the life I wanted. Yeah. And yeah. And part of that was, you know, the life I wanted to lead was I want to go and see everything I wanted after you have been in like kind of a life or death situation you just want to do everything. Yeah. And I, you know, I just couldn't like stay living in San Diego and having a normal job anymore. I was like, I'm hungry. I want it all. So yeah. that's, that's kind of what we did. Gosh, that is such a good story. I mean, and you know, the it's, I'm hearing two stories there. You're, you're a partner who's obviously amazing for what he did, you know, wanting to just pursue that passion of his with, you know, having that flexibility, uh, you know, of just work and travel. And then you just wanted to, not have not not die without having to see and explore the possibilities of who Christina Soto could uh, explore, and you just both of you just decided, hey, I'm doing this now. I'm not waiting till tomorrow, and I'm going to pick a suitcase. And the suitcase thing really resonates with me because I can't pack one suitcase to save my life whenever I travel. I always I always miss something, and I always feel like it's too heavy anyway. So. The fact oh my that gosh, guys, that was hard. It was hard. <laughs> yeah, the fact that you guys do that, that's amazing. But the near-death thing was so true because uh, two years ago, I, uh, I had a near-fatal car accident. Um, and for some reason, I survived that uh, without having to even go to the hospital. But the car was totaled, everything wow. almost flipped. And it's just like you said, I uh, 
I, I was, I was, this is it. I'm, I'm not, I'm not settling anymore. I, I've got, I've got to move. I can't stay here. This is not good. I started projecting 20, 40 years into the future. And I was like, this is not happening. No. <laughs> and I'm not going to do this. So I took the risk and I was like, yep, I'm moving. I packed, I packed a lot like you did and I moved to New York City. But, um, nice. uh, yeah, for CMB. But it's, it's funny what near death experiences do to you because, so I was like, people always say that cliche saying you see the, your life flash before your eyes. But I, I literally did uh, just because it was so quick and a lot of cars and I almost got T-boned and my car was totally oh, and I almost flipped. But um, yeah, no, that's 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 amazing. So obviously you guys took this journey uh, to, to tour the world. What have you learned from your time overseas? I imagine you've encountered a lot of different experiences, a lot of different people. Has there been any sort of lesson or uh, some sort of piece of just any information that's resonated with you and really made you pensive or change your perspective um yeah i mean every time i feel like i travel i always learn something new but this would probably be like my overall takeaway and i learned this the first time i ever left the country i think it was like 19 or something like that and um, I was so struck by how many different ways there are to live an absolutely amazing, great life. You know, growing up in like this very kind of idealistic, like little Southern California town, you know, it's like life is, you know, pretty simple and, you know, it's a nice place to live. And then when I actually left that area and I remember the first place I went to was Italy, I was like, wow, there's these people live amazing lives and they're so happy and there's so many interesting, cool things that they do. And it's completely different than anything I've ever known. And it kind of just hit me. I was like, I don't have to live how I thought I was supposed to live or or how, you know, maybe like that's just kind of the path that lays before you. I was like, I can choose whatever I want to do. So even now, I mean, I, I look at that anytime we travel, um, you know, this year alone, we've been living, you know, in Japan, Mexico, Thailand, we're, we're off to, uh, we've been in, let's see, Vietnam, Cambodia, um, Bali. I mean, everywhere we go, I look at these people who are living really happy, thriving lives, and they're different. Everybody's is different. So I think that really kind of just made me be more open to kind of rolling with anything that comes my way and trying to really see, like, well, how can I make this my best version? Um, and, so that that would I think would probably be my biggest takeaway that and you know how important it is to just collect experiences versus things and you know that was kind of a lesson learned in packing one suitcase and a backpack and I mean really my backpack is my office so that doesn't count as like extra overflow right so, doesn't count yeah exactly yeah, yeah exactly so we were like okay we're gonna be very minimalist and in the very beginning it was hard I was like no way I like shoes what am I gonna do come on girl <laughs> and you know really as we've gone on it's been a year now we've been on the road I, my suitcase gets lighter and lighter I end up getting rid of things the more I go so it kind of just every time I travel and I have these amazing experiences I've meet these amazing people I've seen these amazing things I realize each time, like, I'm so happy that I'm collecting these memories, these experiences. And they're, those are the things that I will remember, you know, when I'm 75. I'm going to remember, you know, that this year for my birthday, I turned 35, that instead of going, you know, getting some object, I, 
you know, my boyfriend asked what I wanted and I was like, I want to go see the sunrise at Angkor Wat Temple. Like, that's what I want for my 35th birthday and I'll always remember it. It's something that I'll always keep with me. It can never deteriorate. I can never lose it and it can't break. And that's, I think, my two biggest things that I've learned from traveling. No, I love it. And traveling definitely opens your mind, especially if you really embrace the whole experience. Because you, you're so you're exposed to so many different cultures and you, and different ways of thinking and just different types of food and things like that. And then it's like, I never really knew this existed. So, you know, it really expands your the horizon of your mind, for sure. Totally. Okay. Now, this this thing keeps coming up to me with a packing thing. What is a tip? You, <laughs> no, I'm, ser- I'm serious. Because what is a tip? This, a lot of the and people I interview... Um, you know, they share tips on traveling, but what is your tip? Because you said your suitcase gets lighter as you move. So I'm imagining you're leaving stuff behind and you're just buying them in your new and then whatever country you end up in. And I also imagine that that doesn't leave a lot of room for the shoes that you love so much. So, you know, it's so true. So, okay. So a few things with it, like in the beginning, I was like, Oh, this is just never going to happen. And then I realized every time I would go to a new spot, I ended up kind of just only wearing a few things anyway. And so I kind of thought, well, what if I just get really nice pieces, like really good, well quality, like good quality. And there's just a few, but they can be very interchangeable. So have you ever seen those things when you look in like, I mean, I don't know if they have them in guy magazines, but in girl magazines, they'll have like, you know, like 10 pieces and you can like make 20 outfits out of it. So I basically kind of do that. I'm like, okay, I've got like my standard, like black pair of jeans. I've got a good, you know, like a couple different items that are very intermixable and that's what I kind of do. So I get really good quality and just have a few of them and I can mix and match the pieces. And then I try to like be girly and accessorize with like a cool necklace or a scarf or whatever. And I really, when I travel, I think I only take flip flops don't count, but I take, um, four pairs of shoes. So that is kind of the bulk of my. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from everything iconic, ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget. Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Of my uh, travel case. Yeah. And it's way easier when you travel to hot countries because your clothes are smaller. When we were living in Kyoto, it was the dead of winter. And I had like winter coats and I had to have snow boots and the whole thing. So that was harder. Our bags were definitely kind of bursting at the seams there. But yeah, I just kind of figure, you know, really less is more, good good quality, fewer pieces. And really, if you come down to it and you're like, I really need something, you can buy something where you're at. So 
I mean, really, it's gotten actually easier as time goes on. And I'm also a big fan of the rolling. That's how I get many in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I've uh, I've uh, getting I've gotten used to this compressed uh, thins. I don't know what you call them, but they just compress the clothes. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, but guys do have that in the magazines. We I wear a lot of okay. suits. I wear a lot of suits. So it's take a jean, take you take a pair of jeans, a suit jacket, nice shirt, and then. A tie, and then you can alternate between whatever, like you know, and just changing the tie does a lot, apparently. Or according to GQ, yeah, according it's to a GQ little hard when you have like a suit. I mean, that's hard when you have to have dress clothes. I mean, that's kind of a whole nother ball game. My my boyfriend had to take a suit last time when we were in Japan. We have a lot of business meetings, so that was a pain because we each had to take like a like formal wear. And we're like, oh man, they take up so much more room. So yeah, when you have to pack like some of that unnecessary stuff that you don't wear daily that kind of throws your packing into a little bit of a loop yes for sure it does all right so with work um how do you find that balance that balance between work and travel i mean obviously travel is part of your work but um i'm just curious what a day looks like for you oh man okay so we've gotten much better at this we used to be horrible but now we kind of have it down to like a little system um So we work, you know, our, our travel company is our main, that's like our real business. And the cancer game plan is newer. And so I have to, you know, divide time between the two. Um, plus, I'm also doing some online classes because I'm going back to get my degree in social work. So I'm taking some online pre- prerequisite courses. So I pack my day very scheduled and tight. Um, but what happened in the beginning was, we were working like 16-hour days and just burning ourselves out. We're like, wait, what's the point? We're traveling. How do we balance this? So we kind of started setting like enforced breaks for ourselves. And in the beginning, it was really hard. We were like freaking out. I'm like, I can't take two hours off in the day. That's like too much. <laughs> and we finally like, we're like, this is crazy. We have a problem. So now we actually, um, we actually schedule in times to like really play because – Even though we take breaks now, if we don't schedule times to play, then it's not going to happen because we are busy. So, like, um, because we're living in Thailand, like, massages are really cheap. So, we make sure twice a week we get massages and we pre-book them. So, it's, like, set in stone. We can't change them. It's just there. And, like, for this weekend, we set aside, like, you know, the whole, like, six hours on Saturday. We're going up to some mountain to go see a temple. Like... So I know it sounds kind of funny to schedule your playtime, but we schedule, you know, work morning, you know, we wake up early, we try to get up around, you know, six, if we're really feeling energetic, it'll be a 530 day, um, work for a couple hours, and then we break, we never work, try to work more than a three hour stint without taking a break. And that break has to be about a 25 to 30 minute, get away from your computer, go stand up or do something else. Um, you know, take a swim or go read a book that's a non-business book or go for a walk, something like that to break up your day. Because when we were working past three hours, we actually found that we were being less kind of um, creative and productive and energetic with our work. And we just ended up feeling like really crappy. So now that's kind of the system we use. And if we're both just feeling like I'm hitting a wall, we just end it for the day. Nice. And yeah. that's just kind of how we roll. So three hours, you got 20, 25, 30 minute increments, schedule playtime, and take advantage of massages that you have there, which is funny. I've never actually had a professional massage, which is something I need to figure out how to do. But, um, oh my God. And go get a Thai massage because they're totally different. It's like assisted yoga. I mean, it's kind of like 
it kind of hurts, but it feels so good. It kind of hurts. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I want to be... Is that is that a good thing? Is that... If it oh, hurts? it does. It hurts so good. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, the pain is good in that instance. All right. Fine. I'll, um, I'll have to explore it then. I just need to explore what being massage is like, because apparently I'm missing out on a, on a lot, but... um. That's um, awesome. That'll be my New Year's resolution, get a massage. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> so, okay. All right. Now, you obviously have come, you've, you started off with, you know, being really bad with time management, then you became efficient. Uh, was there any particular resource that you used as a digital nomad? Um. Okay. I'm really not very techy, appy, gadgety. I'm really, like, bad that way. I mean, I think... And this is like not a resource, but this is like what I use to kind of keep track of my time is I read it in, I think it was in Darren Hardy's book maybe, but basically I set, um, just, I use the egg timer, just eggtimer.com, egg timer. and I will set it. I know it's like really, no, it's really good. It's really good. I, I like it. I use that a lot. Yeah. I just set that if I have, um, you know, I don't set it for the whole three hours. So what I started doing is if I have, because you know the whole time expends to how long you give it. So I've, I'm like trying to, you know, get through writing all my social media posts for the week. Uh-huh. I will set a time limit to be like, okay, you have, you know, one hour. And it kind of gives me like that little competitive edge to be like, how much can I get done in an hour? So I'll set my egg timer and I'll try to bust out. And when I see that little countdown clock just going, it keeps me moving faster instead of being like, oh, I wonder what's going on on Twitter. So it just keeps me really focused. Yep. So I use the egg timer. Probably that's my most my most um, gadgety type of thing. Nah, which being is focused. not gadgety at all. <laughs> and nah, uh, being focused and discipline is definitely important when you're you have a flexible work schedule. So. I think that's good. Now, connection with people. Um, you, you live in a country where you have you meet all sorts of people, um, and you're you're far technically from what home was originally from you. So, how do you connect as you're always on the plane, or you're catching a train, or you know you're just en route somewhere? How do you connect with the the locals or people maybe who are not locals but just foreigners in different countries? Um. So I think. Basically, what we've done is anytime we're going to a new country, we kind of, um, we email like all of our friends and Facebook message them to, you know, we use Facebook a lot, but we'll just be like, hey, you know, like we just chose our next country. We're moving to Lisbon in February. And so we just kind of put it out there, email and Facebook to all our friends. We're like, hey, we're moving to Lisbon. Does anybody like know anybody that's there or has traveled through there or whatever? And a lot of our friends are like us and they travel a lot. We have a lot of digital nomad friends, too. So, I mean, we put it out there and everyone's like, yeah, I used to live there or am living there. or My cousin's from there or something. So we always, every place we've gone, we have some um, some connection, some touchstone, something like that. We've only had um, one place that we didn't when we were living in Oaxaca, Mexico. Um, that was just like we were all on our own. But it was cool. So, and then once we're there, um, I think we're both, my partner and I, we're both really social. So... Like, when we lived in Mexico, we would just, you know, we always, like, kind of part of our getting into a place is we find, like, our local market and our local, like, like little cantina bar that we want to go hang out at, you know, like our regular spot. So, you know, we found a couple places and just sitting sitting around having, you know, having mezcal or having, you know, tacos, we just strike up a conversation with anybody. And then we ended up, you know, having really good friends. So we live in a place usually for about two, three months and, you know, by the time we leave, we have, like, this nice little group of friends that 
you know, now we, now we know for life. So I think, you know, using a little, just reach out to all your friends, Facebook and email, and then just be really open and social wherever you're at. You know, if somebody looks nice and interesting, you know, just chat them up. Yeah, you're right. And uh, I love it because, you know, it's funny what can happen with a uh, simple high or low over a coffee. So uh, I think that's, that's good. I definitely resonate with that. Home. What is home? Where is home? Yeah, so let's see. I, I was kind of thinking about that earlier. And even though, so home technically, I'm born and raised in one spot, like pretty much my whole life. Um, so San Diego, California, I guess, is like my technical home. But really, in the deepest sense of the word, um, my home is really wherever my partner, my boyfriend and I, um, wherever we are together, like that becomes our new home. Like I have, we've always told each other, um, even before we like started our adventures that, you know, you are my home. And so wherever we're at together, that is, that's my home. That's where I feel happy. That's where I'm comfortable. And neither one of us has ever been in our lives. Somebody who has been, um, you know, like nostalgic for a certain place. So while I love going back to California and San Diego to go visit my family that lives there. And, um, yes, I have a lot of memories there. We, neither one of us ever were the type of people that thought we would be living there forever. You know, we, even now we don't have like a strong pull to the States We're you know, we're totally fine kind of always living wherever. Um, you know, we like the idea of maybe living like six months of the year in one place and six months in another, but we'd be fine if they were in the States or not in the States. So, I guess for us, a home is really just wherever we decide to be together and, you know, make it cozy. <laughs> that's yeah. it. No, no, that's good. That's an answer I get all the time. Home is really a fluid concept. Uh, so it's really where you feel most comfortable. And in your case, you know, where your boyfriend, partner, and where both you are together. So that's cool. Um, mission statement time. <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> So, uh, yes, my mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. Uh, and, Christina, how do you use your difference to make a difference? Uh, let's see. So, I guess, I guess, so my biggest difference that I guess I would be is that, you know, even though I'm in remission, I'm still very much a cancer warrior. I will be forever, you know, that's just part of who I am now. So, um, you know, I feel that what I've been through, my experience, what I've learned from it, my ups, my downs, my good, my bad, my uglies, that's something that I want to give back to my fellow cancer warriors. So I guess using my difference of the experience I've been through and what I guess makes me different from who I was before is something that I would like to make a difference in their lives, their, you know, lives during their own battle and their survivorship lives. So I guess that would be, um, that's, you know, what I have to offer the world right now is just what I, I, you know, my experience and my love and passion for, you know, helping other people is, I guess that would be my difference. No, that's, (laughs) and that's, that's definitely a beautiful thing. Um, and it, you know, it's you're shining a light basically, and you've, you've used your story to inspire a lot of people, and you're going on to achieve what you want to achieve. So, I mean, that's how I connected with you because <laughs> I was observing your story from afar, and I was really inspired. So, I oh, thank you. Oh, thanks. Oh, thank you. Well, the cool thing is, it's it's so reciprocal. What I guess what I'm doing because it's not really just 
me make, I guess what I'm trying to do is make a difference in somebody else's life. It's, it's such a pass, you know, pay it forward thing because on my podcast, I actually interview inspiring cancer warriors. So even though, you know, maybe my story is an inspiring cancer story, I'm having new cancer warriors come on the show and they're telling their viewpoint because they have a different story. They've had a different battle. They've had a different disease and they had different challenges. So by them telling their story, they're now making a difference in somebody else's life that is going to resonate with their story and maybe not mine. So it's this really fun project that, you know, people have been, it's really healing. You know, people, when they come on, they're always like, wow, you know, I haven't thought about some of these, you know, questions that you've asked me in a long time, if they've been in remission for a while, or, you know, they didn't really feel about, you know, think about how they felt about a certain decision or a challenge that they went through. And when you reflect back on it, it's sometimes, you know, it heals like a little part that you didn't even know was still there that, you know, maybe you hadn't put to rest yet. And hopefully on the receiving end, you know, somebody at home is listening and they're just like, wow, what that person went through is so what I'm going through right now. And I can see a light now at the end of the tunnel. So, um, you know, it's been this really, really rewarding, a lot of work, but really rewarding process. No, you're right. That's the beauty of having such a platform like this is, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be your story, but the opportunity you give uh, others to share a story can resonate with a myriad of people because you never know which one story is going to get that one person to say, I needed that today. You know, it's it's one of those things that you're you're touching so many people's lives and you don't even know it. But you know what's happening. Maybe your download numbers tells you, or maybe someone just happened to share it, and maybe someone just listened to the first five minutes of the podcast, and then they were able to just do something um, really inspiring. So that true. Day. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so in that inspiring vein, Christina, what piece of advice would you give? I don't know, thirteen-year-old uh, Christina, or maybe younger Christina, if uh, you're looking through the lens right now. Oh, gosh. Um, So don't be concerned with how other people think how you should live your life. Just instead, just fully commit to yourself, commit to your dreams, and practice happiness every single day. Um, There is one of the quotes I absolutely love, and I would love to, like, just tattoo this on my forehead if it wasn't so weird looking, is just the one from Steve Jobs that your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's just as, you know, a child growing up, um, I just came from a really sheltered background, and, you know, I just, there was, like, one path to go down, and that's just kind of how you live your life, so... I mean, I would love to, you know, shake that little 13-year-old and be like, no, just go for your dreams, do whatever you want, who cares? <laughs> well, <laughs> so that that's what I would give myself. It does sound like that saying is tattooed on you, if not, you know, physically, but, you know, you don't want to have that Mike Tyson moment, so um, at least it, <laughs> at least it's there, and I think that's definitely a good, a good uh, quote to live by. Um, yeah, so that's good, we're almost done here, but I, I can't leave the show without asking you where your favorite things were, so... You know. Oh no. <laughs> Which country had the best food for you? Oh, okay. So this is I'm gonna say Japan because it it really does. Like Japanese food in Japan is just like mind blowingly good and it's so much people are like, What? It's sushi, right? And that's like the smallest little part of it. But the food in Japan is just 
amazing. They actually have way, they have more Michelin stars than Paris, you know, all of France. They have more Michelin stars in Tokyo than they really? do in Paris, but huh. it's amazing. And I have to give my second is Mexico, but that's also because, you know, I grew up on Mexican food. So there you go. <laughs> Mexico gets my number two. <laughs> no, I, I, I love Mexican and Japanese food. Um, but I, I love food, period. But yeah, no, that, that's good. It's good. All right. So what about music? Um, I'm going to go with America on that because I just really love the variety of our of American music. I mean, from, you know, blues to folk to rock and jazz. I just kind of, yeah. I think we kind of have it all. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing this is going to be the answer for movies as well, but I'm just going to ask, you know, what the country has um, the most actually, movies. Actually, I'm going with the UK because I love British humor and... I think they actually just do the movies and the TV series and the TV shows are so much better in the UK. They're oh, really, no, hold on, hold on. I know, you I love know. British, you know, okay, this is, so I'm not American, I'm Nigerian, but I'm, every time I consistently hear an American talk about British shows, and I love British shows, obviously, because most of my family is from um, England, but I hear this consistently, I don't get British humor, so you have to tell you me don't? this. No, 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 I, I, I get it to some degree, but I hear oh. from a lot of... Uh, um, Americans and my friends here, so you must have cracked the code because it's like, no, nah, British humor is a little different. I don't get it. That's that's not, nah, that humor is dry here. Oh my God, I love dry humor, but everyone in my family is extremely dry and sarcastic. <laughs> so I guess it just, like one of our shows that we watched as a family when I was a kid, well, two of them, Faulty Towers and Absolutely Fabulous, which are two totally just like... N- kind of off the wall british shows i don't even know if anybody watches those but that was, those were like our family shows so no i don't know i guess we all just like british humor <laughs> <laughs> no it's good I, I mean some of my favorite shows are british shows but i would pro- if i had to choose i probably would say america slightly ahead just because uh, all of my movies and tv shows most of them are american but um all right um country with friendliest people uh for a rapper. oh cambodia cambodia so this Really? Yeah, I know. So we just got back. I we were, you know, I did Angkor Wat for my birthday, which was just this month, and I, you know, I didn't really know. I felt kind of silly. I didn't really know much about Cambodia except for, you know, obviously like Angkor Wat and you know Siem Reap, and we, you know, we've been living in Viet or Thailand, and we had just traveled through Vietnam, and our last stop was Cambodia, and wow. we were both blown away at like the amazing, not only nice. But just like beaming with like happiness and gratitude and really kind and patient and but really genuine. I mean, the people like in Japan are extremely nice, but the Cambodians were like friendly, funny, so sweet. We were just blown away. Even the guy that like the airport security guy was like, hi, how are you today? Did you have a great time? I was like, there's like a huge line behind me. And he's like, that's yeah, great. All right. Have a good flight. And I was like, where am I? This is crazy. Yeah, no, that, that does sound cool. That's good. It's good to hear. All right. But, you know, unfortunately, we have to say goodbye. But I, I want to know um, where we can find out more about you where your shows are, what you're up to, how people can reach out to you and just continue to be part of your journey. Well, that would be awesome. Um, Everyone can reach me at my website, so www.thecancergameplan.com. The show, The Cancer Game Plan Podcast, is on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. And um, if anybody wants to chat me up, I do hang out on Twitter and Facebook quite a bit. My Twitter handle is at cancergameplan. And um, starting in 2015, it's going to be, um, I'm going to be doing a lot of 
videos. So, you know, come by and visit me on YouTube if you like. But um, I always like, you know, chatting with people and meeting new people. So Twitter and Facebook are where I hang out most of the time. Well, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure, and I can't wait to get this out there. Thank you so much. I had such a blast. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to use your difference to make a difference, as well as for show notes, head over to www.uidmag.com. Till next time, go out and make an impact in your world. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 